If you start early and you make this an ongoing conversation in your child's life, your child's risk of abuse is dramatically reduced. And I'm talking 90%. Ever feel like you suck at this job? Motherhood, I mean. Have too much anxiety and not enough patience? Too much yelling, not enough play? There's no manual, no village, no guarantees. The stakes are high. We want so badly to get it right. But this is survival mode. We're just trying to make it to bedtime. So if you're full of mom guilt, your temper scares you. You feel like you're screwing everything up and you're afraid to admit any of those things out loud. This podcast is for you. This is Failing Motherhood. I'm Danielle Batman, and each week we'll chat with a mom ready to be real, sharing her insecurities, her fears, her failures, and her wins. We do not have it all figured out. That's not the goal. The goal is to remind you, you are the mom your kids need. They need what you have, you are good enough, and you're not alone. I hope you pop in earbuds, somehow sneak away, and get ready to hear some hope from the trenches. You belong here, friend. We're so glad you're here. Hey, it's Danielle. I am so glad you're tuning in today. This one is a topic that is incredibly important, and I know if you are listening to this podcast, it's probably already been on your mind, but I wanted to connect you with a really amazing resource and help you feel more equipped and empowered so that you can have these conversations with your kids. Today, I am talking to Rosalia Rivera, consent educator and child sexual abuse prevention specialist, TEDx speaker, founder of Consent Parenting, and the host of the About Consent podcast. She is also a child sexual abuse survivor, thriver, and warrior. And today, we are just barely scratching the surface on all of the ways that you need to be educated as a parent in this day and age to help prevent your child from becoming a statistic, and we dive right in. Now, this conversation does not get super, super deep. It is very hopeful. There are next steps and things that you can do. So I don't want you to be deterred by the heaviness of this topic. I really feel like it's accessible and it is something that every parent needs to hear and figure out the answers to their questions because this is a really, really important topic. But Rosalia is a wealth of information and her resources, free and paid, are ready for you at every stage of this journey. So I couldn't not talk about this topic and I wanted to make sure that we covered the main things. We cover how she got into this work, the statistics, that are most important to know, how to brace yourself for these uncomfortable conversations, and some of the progression leading up to online safety of the things you need to be talking about offline, and how to find resources for those conversations. Even if you haven't had specific conversations with your child yet, if you are establishing healthy communication and trust in your relationship, then you are doing great. So find the one thing that speaks to you in your place in your journey and then connect with a next step that helps you feel confident and empowered that you are setting you and your family up for success and preventing abuse from being in your child's story. If it already is in your family's story, Rosalia has resources for you as well. So go connect with her platform consentparenting.com and follow her on Instagram and while you listen and let me know what you think of this episode. Okay, so before we dive into this episode, I wanted to share with you a recent testimonial that I got back from a family that worked with me through Sandy and Solutions coaching for the last four months. Their main hesitation with starting coaching was the expense in general. She said, our budget is tight, so we wanted to make sure whatever program we went with would be worth the expenditure. Now that we have completed the coaching program, I can say, hands down, 
working with Danielle was absolutely worth every penny. It will have a positive effect on our family and children for the rest of our lives. My husband and I were both stressed and exhausted from parenting two little kids in a pandemic while juggling work and other life challenges. We weren't staying as calm and connected with our kids as we could, and we needed support. The transition to becoming a mom for me was not easy, and I needed guidance and encouragement, especially with how to connect to and guide our strongest-willed child. Danielle provided us with a lot of tangible tools to use to help us remain calm, be better connected to our kids, and to parent from a place of love and leadership. After working with Danielle, my husband and I are more connected to each other as parents. We now have a shared vision for our parenting and family, and we work together and support each other much more collaboratively. My attitude towards parenting and motherhood has changed to a much more positive attitude, and I feel much more confident and fulfilled as a mom. I have more resources and knowledge to call on in both the good times and bad. I feel much more connected to both of my children including our strong-willed child whose behavior is in a much better place thanks to Danielle's help. I loved how Danielle guided us through developing our family business plan. Having kids marked the beginning of a new phase of life for my husband and I, and creating our family business plan has really helped with that transition. I only wished we had worked with Danielle sooner, so we had it from the start, but better late than never. It feels great to have created a shared vision for our family and to have gotten clear about what matters to us and how we want to live. It helps me have a sense of direction and purpose that I was needing. It also helps our whole family feel more connected and helps guide our actions and behavior in positive ways. The biggest result is that we are actively problem-solving issues we couldn't tackle before because we didn't feel like we had the knowledge, tools, or resources to address these challenges. My husband and I are talking regularly about our parenting and are working together to anticipate and solve problems and create positive situations and outcomes for our kids. We use different, more productive language in talking with our kids. We are all more connected as a family, and our kids' behavior has definitely improved. I would absolutely recommend Danielle's coaching. She's a fabulous coach. She is knowledgeable, supportive, and provides practical tools and resources that lead to concrete results. I only wish we had started working with her earlier. Thanks, now. Ugh. Nobody can say it better than the clients that have been through it. And she's even willing to talk with any parents that are considering coaching. So reach out if you want to be connected with her and she can help answer your individual questions as well. But if you are ready, go to parentingwholeheartedly.com slash coaching and apply for a call so that we can meet each other and figure out if we'd be a good fit to work together. That's what I'm here to do. It's what I love. And I can't wait to help your family. You will be the next success story on the podcast. All right, let's dive in to Rosalia's episode. Welcome to Failing Motherhood. My name is Danielle Bettman, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Rosalia. Hi, welcome. So glad you're here. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Of course. I have followed you on Instagram for like ever. You've been like one of the staples, (laughs) one of the the ones that I, I, I just had to find right away. But I had to also share my platform with you and spend so much time diving into your insight because it's just so important. And I can't not. Uh, But before I get ahead of myself, introduce yourself to my audience if they haven't heard of you yet. And who are you and who's in your family? Sure. Uh, Well, thanks for following me for for such a long time. I love that. Of course. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I'm Rosalia Rivera. I am a consent educator, a uh, child sexual abuse prevention expert. And I help parents learn how to talk to their kids about body safety, boundaries, and consent uh, so that they can prevent abuse. And I work predominantly with parents who are survivors uh, of that kind of trauma. I'm a survivor and thriver um, of that trauma. And so I, I really look at this work through that lens and, um, you know, help parents navigate the challenges that can come up with that, uh, you know, kind of trauma and doing this really important work so that they can break those cycles. I love that. So, so, so needed in this day and age and only more so as the days go on, it feels like. Mm-hmm, uh, definitely. So the question I ask every guest 
is have you ever felt like you were failing motherhood? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure everyone says yes. Um, because it's, you know, there's no blueprint, right? And, and everybody comes from it from so many different angles and challenges. Um, absolutely. And, and it's funny because I talk about it with my therapist and I actually have a post-it here. Uh, one of the things, you know, I had that conversation recently and she said, write down and journal, what is a good mom? And Mm. I was like, that's a really great question because I think that would help us really define and, and understand why we think we're failing it. Like what are, what's the definition of a good mom anyway, right? It's kind of like asking what's your definition of success as a career person or business owner or whatever it is that you're doing in life. Right. And so it's like, that's such a great question. I have yet to fully answer it, but you know, I (laughs) I think every day I probably feel like, Oh, I failed at whatever that little thing was. And but I have more compassion to to forgive myself and do better, like just to focus on, you know, trying again. Yes, that's definitely one of the keys is that self-compassion piece, because we can get we can keep striving all we want. And as long as we wake up the next day ready to try again, it, that that compassion enables gives us so much more capacity to do that. So yeah. I think it is really, truly individual and unique. Like everyone's definition of a good mom is different. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, and and I, like I, I would just even add to that, um, it's, it's additionally hard for anyone who grew up with a parent who was like a perfectionist or a control freak mm. and to feel like you don't have a handle on that, what, whatever stage of the journey you're into, because like, I think I've gotten better, but they're still always like, oh, I'm, you know, doing this thing that my mom did that drove me crazy. And like, now I'm doing it. And like, you beat yourself (laughs) up for that. But then you're also, you know, just like learning to not be such a perfectionist. And there is no such thing as the perfect mom. Like, you know, so yeah, it's, it's an, an interesting ongoing at every stage and age, like it changes. So yeah. And I think it's, it's always reassuring, I think, to hear experts in the field share, you know, that they resonate with that feeling because it's so easy on Instagram to feel like everybody has it together. Totally. <laughs> totally. Especially like, especially for me with looking at a lot of the toddler accounts, because my kids oh, are now yes. between six and 10. And I look at some of the games that, you know, these, these experts come up with and like activities. And I'm like, I wish I, I could have done that at the time. Like, why didn't I do that? And then you kind of like beat yourself up for the past, you know, it's like, okay, don't don't go there. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a whole bag of guilt. I don't need. <laughs> and uh, you know, you just focus on like what what can I do today? Like what can I focus on today? And that's you know the best that you can do. Yes, I had a similar feeling last night. I was like an hour deep into TikTok, and I was feeling sad that a lot of the people that are having babies now have so much more accessibility. It feels to having short form like candid videos of their kids mm. in like the really little years that they you know, may share or may keep to themselves either way. It still didn't feel like that technology was available nine years ago when I had my mm-hmm. first. So all of our first, like her first three years are literally still on home videos <laughs> <laughs> that we haven't converted to like a DVD. And that just makes me feel real old. But <laughs> I was, I was I stuck you. in those like, oh, I wish we could have or that that was different. And we, we've already lost that stage of life. And it is what it is. Focusing yeah, on yeah. today. What can I do today? Totally. I like that reframe. <laughs> so Knowing that your your work is heavy and we're talking about abuse prevention, we're talking about consent culture, listeners may be coming from a different place. So if we need like a warning or a disclaimer or like if you just want to kind of speak to the listeners as we introduce this topic in your story, what would you say for kind of like how they can reconcile their story with yours? Okay, so let me, I, I just want to, I'm going to ask you a clarifying question. So yeah. what do you mean in terms of like before, if I share something that I know is going to be triggering, should I? Just kind of like get, warm us up to the idea, give us okay. an introduction. And I know like what we talked about before we got on was that everybody's approaching this topic from a different place where they may already be like knees deep in research or it hasn't come to mind at all. 
Yeah. Yeah. I So because I am a survivor and my mom is a survivor, my sister's a survivor, like it has always been something that I've known in the background um, is something to pay attention to. But it wasn't until I became a mom that I understood, first of all, how important it is to talk about this with kids in an age appropriate way but also that it's a topic that we as a society are just not talking about regardless of where you come at it from. So whether you are a survivor who has trauma and maybe has never disclosed or has not shared it with even their partner or they have disclosed and it's just like the trauma is there, it's unhealed and now they have children and that in itself can be triggering because like maybe your child is at the age where your own abuse happened and now it's like confronting you and you have to deal with it. Or you come at it from a place of it's never happened to you. You don't know anyone who it's happened to or you know someone who's happened to, but it seems like such a distant kind of experience that you can't relate to it. So you don't really see any immediate harm or danger to your child. And it kind of gets put in the background like, okay, I, that's a concern for some people, but not for me. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting how parents come to the information. Like maybe the school is now teaching it and you realize like, oh, I guess this is the time when I'm supposed to be talking about it. Um, and so I think it's really interesting the way that parents come to this information. I think we all at some point recognize whether it's like your idea of stranger danger and like, I have to talk to my kids about that and, you know, or they're going to a sleepover and Mm. now you're like, is there something I should be doing or where, whatever you're going to eventually bump into this. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't kind of prepared yourself or if you are overly thinking about it and you're terrified to talk about it. So at one point or another, everyone has some level of anxiety about it. And Mm -hmm. so it's interesting for me, like when I started um, to educate myself about it, I actually didn't even know um, I had my own memories hadn't surfaced. And so Mm -hmm. that was kind of like uh, I got hit with this realization of the memories that I thought were either my imagination or dreams or I couldn't like put it together, like all came to the surface And I realized, you know, it kind of all made sense because of my sister and um, our history around that. And so when I started to do the work of educating myself so I could talk to my kids about it and figure out how to make sure I talked to them about it in a way that wasn't going to scare them about the world or, you know, some parents fear, like, how do I say it without taking away their innocence? You know, there's all these big questions. Um, Mm -hmm. I realized I was being triggered overall about the topic and I was like, maybe I just need to not talk to them about it. And like, I just don't let them out of my sight. (laughs) You kind of have that perspective of like, (laughs) yeah, I just will never let them, you know, have a babysitter or like go to daycare or like homeschool them. Like, you know, you kind of get into this protective mode. Mm -hmm. And then I remembered that that's what my mom did because of her experience, her experience without getting into details and I have permission to share her story, but her, her experience was with someone outside of the family. And so she never imagined that inside of the family, there was any danger. So her protectiveness was always like protecting me from the outside world. And I would never, you know, I was never allowed to go to sleepovers and I was never allowed to, you know, do all these things that my friends were doing, which backfired on her. Cause when I became a teenager, I like totally rebelled. <laughs> So, you know, that's something that I always caution parents about. But also, even when I did rebel, I didn't have any skills of body safety or consent education or awareness. So I kind of went off into the world really unprepared, you know. And Mm -hmm. so all of that information really informed my decision making on how am I going to approach this in a way that gives my kids the ability to integrate into the world in a health and safety way and safe way while also relieving my anxiety and stress about, you know, them being in this scary world. Um, You know, so there were a lot of things that come to play. And I think for some parents, you know, understanding like where their perspective is of like, this has never happened. I don't have to worry about it. And then it happens. And then parents Mm -hmm. are like reeling with the aftermath 
Or parents who are like so terrified of it that they don't give their kids the permission to experience the world. Right. Um, you know, so that that's sort of like where the core of my work stems from is like helping parents navigate and understand the the urgency of why they need to teach this, but then also like how to do it in a way that doesn't feel heavy and doesn't mm-hmm. have to be about fear. It's not fear based. Um, because of all of these, you know, and then talking to survivors, of course, and talking to parents who have never had these issues was so different and and like helping to uh, give them the content that would empower everybody, including the people in their circles, right? So that we can create consent culture, move away from rape culture, like really make these big shifts in society. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it's like it's been a, a really interesting journey and how parents step into it. And I think that's why my content is so um, relatable, I think, for a lot of people. It's like I talk about the fears, but I also then give you hope of like, here's what you can do. Like it doesn't yes. ha- you don't have to live in fear, you know? Um, yeah. So I don't know if that answered your question. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly, yes. But- yeah. And I feel like that's such a delicate balance, like the two ends of this spectrum that you spoke to of wanting to be informed, knowing that this is an urgent issue, that complete avoidance is not an option, while also not wanting to create really, really overbearing, sheltered, you know, situations that are also just as harmful because they are unempowered or educated. But being able to walk that line, I feel like is something that you're really good at. Because your content is extremely informative and educational while always offering something about what you can do. And mm-hmm. like I think that when I originally connected with you for this episode, you were sharing the statistics about online predators and, and how it's gotten worse through the pandemic and how, you know, kids are in these compromising situations and you're, you gave stories upon stories of you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, mm-hmm. and you can do this. And I feel like that is what we are so desperate to hear as parents is like, we know the world is broken. We know that there is a lot that is outside of our hands. And that really feels extremely heavy sometimes. It just like, we just are underneath the wave. But then if mm-hmm. we can get back on top. And if we can feel like we have one aspect that we have control over or some next steps or some ways that we're educating ourselves, that is an entire game changer. So yeah. that, that's why I think that you're just speaking to that so well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, on that topic of, of online safety, and I was just uh, doing an Instagram live today talking about how uh, there was this bill that just came out. Um, senators introduced this. It's called the Kids Keep Kids Safe Online Bill. And it's great. I'm so happy to see that our institutions, you know, I'm in Canada, but I, I love mm-hmm. that at least in the US and Canada is doing a lot of work too. I think across the globe, the fact that people are raising an alarm, you know, they're like really sounding the alarm because it it isn't getting better. The right. pandemic has compounded the issue. And as much as we as parents do need to take responsibility, it's like there is so much that we are already dealing with and there's so much that we don't know. And there's so many ways that offenders are targeting children and finding ways to access them. And uh, it like depends on your relationship with your child, if they're going to listen to you or how much you've already taught them about offline safety that's going to translate to online safety. Mm -hmm. So I love seeing that there is movement in government and institutions, but yet there's so much work that still needs to be done there. So we we always have to even balance that, you know? And yeah. so my my biggest goal is to try to find ways to give chunk-sized information that you can absorb, that you can put in, at least think about, at least consider. And, and it's all in stages, you know? I think that mm-hmm. it can feel really overwhelming and then we just like want to shut down and like not even look at it. So I get that and I just have so much compassion for parents. So I try to do it as mm-hmm. in chunk chunk sizes that are you can chew on it at least and and then take a step. And also call in support. Like you yeah. shouldn't be doing this by yourself, you know? I think that that's another big part of it and it's not just about teaching our kids, it's also about educating the people in our community. 
because mm-hmm. then we create a bigger shield around our kids through a stronger, safer community. Um, so that's another big message too, that I've really been um, over the last year starting to put out is that we have to talk to the people in our kids' lives and, you know, whether it's family members or educators or um, coaches, you know, medical personnel, like even taking your child to the doctor and explaining to the doctor, like we practice consent. So can you engage with them in that way? And, you know, giving them a, a tool that communicates that so that it's an easier conversation and it's normalized instead of seeming odd because the more we can have these conversations, the safer the world is going to be for our kids. So we don't have to just do this one-on-one with our kids. It's like, let's create this as a normal conversation to keep kids safer by everybody doing this work, not just parents, you know? So yes. that's the other piece that I think is is important that we recognize, like, when we talk about it with other people, we are, for, first of all, uh, weeding out potential offenders and eliminating our kids from being targets because they're like, oh, this child's being educated, not an easy target, crossing them off the list, but also then creating consent culture and normalizing this for adults and and having adults recognize child's rights. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's, there's there's ways that we can do it without the intense pressure on just parents and kids. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up so early on in this conversation because it's it is a very systemic issue. There are a lot of moving parts. There's a million other even ways to address this issue. So to put that burden solely on your shoulders is not a healthy thing to do. But when you want to think about, okay, if all of these things are outside of my control and what is and getting really clear about where to spend your energy. I think that's uh, also a valuable thing that you provide a lot of resources for. So I want to start off with just asking a few statistics. So like, what do we need to know? If there is a parent listening to this that has a six month old, haven't thought about this at all. What do they need to know that is like that side of the pendulum of, Hey, this is an urgent issue and you do need to educate yourself and make sure that you and your family are equipped with some resources, what would you introduce them to? (laughs) Yeah. So there's, there's some great statistics and I'm going to start with those first because Mm -hmm. I usually will give you the, these really hard statistics and people are like, Oh, it's scary. Right. But I want to start with the hopeful part, which is that If you start early and you make this an ongoing conversation in your child's life, your child's risk of abuse is dramatically reduced. And I'm talking 90%. Wow. Which is awesome. You know, so first of all, let's start with that. that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, and and the earlier you start it, when your child is that young, it's really about, again, communicating with the people in your child's life. And really starting to just educate yourself about it so that you, first of all, aren't so scared when you have to start talking to your child and they have to start learning about it. But also Mm -hmm. you've set up the precedent of how you're teaching this in your home, you know, how you're communicating with your child. Like a lot of these pieces are about you communicating with the community that's going to be caring, that are going to be caregivers in your child's life. So that's the first part. And... In terms of the statistics that parents need to know and that you can communicate to other adults in your child's life so that they understand your why, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's really important because we can say, like, we're not forcing Susie to hug or kiss anyone, but someone who's never been introduced to that idea is going to, like, you know, potentially give you some pushback or kind of scoff at the idea of, like, oh, that's very new age, like, parenting or, you know, this very, like, delicate, gentle parenting that I don't agree with. And they they might just not understand why. And it may feel very discouraging to a parent who's starting to practice consent parenting and, and these kind of practices. So the statistics that you can share is, first of all, this issue is actually bigger than most people understand and recognize. They don't want to look at it. So most people, you know, have no idea, right? So if you start from that perspective of like other adults probably don't know, it's mm-hmm. it's helpful for you to be an educator, not just to your child, but to them. Um, so in the US, 
you know, the, the statistics range between one in four and one in six girls um, will be sexually abused before the age of 18. And I don't even like saying that statistic in the way that it's written because it says it they will be, you know. And, oh, yeah. and I think that if we change the language to they could be, but if we do something about it, we can change those statistics, right? Yeah. Um, and then one in six boys to one to ten boys. Um, so here's the thing about these statistics also that parents should recognize is that because it's such an underreported crime that these numbers are more than likely double because we know that children typically don't disclose until more than five years after the event has happened or until they're adults. Mm -hmm. So these are, you know, statistics are low, but if you look at it, you know, uh, holistically in a classroom of 20 kids, there's a possibility of, you know, five to 10 kids in that class experience it at some point in their lives. You know, and that's a pretty high number. Yeah. Um, the other statistic that's really important for parents to know about is that 90% in some, in some cases, depending on where you are in the world, um, 90 to 91% of abuse happens at the hands of someone that the child and the family knows and trusts. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is family members, this is um, you know, peers, this is educators. I mean, if you look at, you know, what's happening in the sports world, right? Coaches. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not stranger danger. It is, that's only like, you know, nine to 10% of these kinds of situations. Um, it's more likely that it's someone that you and your child know. So this mm-hmm. is also why it's important to, to learn about what grooming is and what those signs are to look for and, and you know, educate yourself on that. So those are the, the main ones that I that I always bring attention to. I mean, I can give you a lot more, but those are the ones that I think parents need to recognize is that it's common mm-hmm. it, it, and it and it's also has nothing to do with age, race, demographics, class status, social, economic, like none of that. You know, there are some groups where it's higher, you know, for example, families where there's a single parent or children who, um, you know, have some kind of disability or special needs. So there are some areas where there is a little bit of a higher risk factor. But Mm -hmm. overall, this, you know, there is no type of offender that you can say, oh, that person isn't married and they, you know, live in their mom's basement. And so therefore they must be like. There, you know, it's across the board. Offenders um, aren't just pedophiles. You know, they are uh, people who are married who, you know, and it's not just men. It can be women. Um, it doesn't it's not just adults. It's also peers and youth. Uh, that's an, on an increase also because of access to online explicit content that yeah. is so much more easily accessible these days, you know. So, um, you know, so those are those are the things that we need to be looking at and understanding that there are higher risk factors today, especially with the access to online where kids can, you know, in terms of stranger danger, that's where you can find it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times those predators can be introduced to children by other children because that mm-hmm. other child doesn't know it's a predator. Maybe they haven't been educated about it at home about online safety and they're you know, connecting to someone that they've been talking to for six months. And now your child, you know, is introduced to them because, and so they no longer seem to be a stranger because your friend introduced them. Sure. Um, You know, so there's so many, like, there's so many ways that children can be impacted by this. And so the, the key message really here is don't sleep on this education, like educate yourself, inform yourself so that you can then teach your kids. Yeah. And in in that same lens, you're already starting to break down common misconceptions that, you know, it's either not common or that it's someone that your child doesn't know. Are there any other common misconceptions you run into that it's always helpful to clarify? Uh, I think that another common misconception is that schools or daycares or institutions that your child attends are safe spaces just by their inherent nature that, you know, these systems or educational spaces are doing their due diligence to make sure that those people are safe 
and that they're getting the right training, that the school is doing the proper screening, that the camp, you know, is, uh, you know, has some safety protocols for reporting. Mm -hmm. We make these assumptions, right, that are not always true. And so it's really also important that parents do their due diligence about asking the right questions to those organizations and institutions to make sure that they are, in fact, safe spaces for kids. What are the protocols that daycares use for when a child needs assistance to go to the potty if they're transitioning to potty training? And, you know, those kinds of questions like, are there is there more than one adult? Are children interacting um, at different age groups? And what's the supervision there? You know, so really asking more questions and not just assuming that they're safe spaces is also key because offenders are going to look to work in spaces where they have easier access to children. And we hope that these spaces do their due diligence, but they don't always. And I get a lot of consultations where parents are meeting with me because the principal was, you know, just found out that they had uh, online content that they just got arrested for. And like, now there's this scramble of like, what do, how do I know if my child like was in contact with this person and, you know, what do I do? And, or that somebody else, you know, was a, a teacher assistant and, you know, they exposed themselves to my child and I just happened to find out by chance and like, what do I do now? Um, so, you know, we want to make sure we don't want to just make assumptions. It's important to do the work and ask. And sometimes parents think, well, it's an uncomfortable conversation, but I'd rather have the uncomfortable conversation than my child be in an uncomfortable situation. Hmm. Yep. Yep. Because that was going to be one of my next questions is like, I think as parents, if you have had this on your mind already, whether that was from your past or not, if your child was at an age where you're already looking some things up, trying to find a book to read with them, doing the things that because it's on your mind, then you've already maybe attempted a conversation with a caregiver or with your parents or, you know, someone that's going to be caring for them. And then felt crazy (laughs) and felt like you were silly or felt like you're exaggerating or felt like, like it's just too uncomfortable. And like, we weren't raised with this. So of course there's just a whole nother level of like the emotional bandwidth and maturity that you need to have these conversations. So like all the, all the things of what to do with your child aside, which I know you have so many resources for, and we can still circle back to, What do we need to know as parents to help us have those uncomfortable conversations? Yeah. So what I think parents need to know is that because it wasn't a conversation in the past, it's going to feel weird for the people who are receiving it, especially if they're older, right? So talking to the aunt or the grandma or the principal, you know, who's been at that school forever, they may give you some pushback. And so we kind of have to prepare ourselves to just know that that's a possibility and be okay with it, but also prepare ourselves with some support systems. So find, you know, who is going to support you in that so that you can talk to them after the fact and say, oh, I knew this was going to happen. She reacted the way that I thought was going to happen. And they've got, you have a support system so that they recognize and understand like, you're doing the right thing. It, you know, people are just need to adjust to the idea. They need to absorb the information. Sometimes it takes time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes doing it in writing is great because it gives them time to process what you've said and what you've shared. And then you can have that conversation, right? So kind of yeah. breaking the ice by saying, hey, you know, I just was, I'm doing this research or I'm learning about this. Here's some information I want, I would love for you to take a look at or consider or Here's why we're doing these things and, you know, sending it ahead of time and giving that person time to process. Because sometimes it, you know, to the person receiving it, it, you know, they can feel like, well, why are you telling me this? You know, do you think I'm an offender or, you know, and I think that's a lot of times the fear that people have, like, well, are you saying that, like, they can't sleep over because, like, my kid's a danger to them, you know, and so... If we approach it in a way where we want to educate people about what we're learning and actually say, hey, this is something that I just am discovering and I just found out and I wanted to share it with you because maybe you want to share that with, you know, maybe you want to start teaching your kids so that they're safer. 
Yeah. And, you know, I just found out that it's very easy for kids to get access. You know, it's like, here's a perfect example of how that could play out. Your child is invited to a family member's house for a sleepover with cousins. And maybe you know that they don't do supervised internet access or that they're, you know, not practicing any online safety because they probably just don't know, right? And so they've invited your child and you're like, I don't want them to sleep there because I know that there's potential, like there's older siblings or their or their siblings have friends that come over and like, how do I know if my child's going to be there? And like, there's all these questions that are unanswered, right? So mm-hmm. how do I proceed with this? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we want to say like my, you know, if, if I was just straightforward and I didn't care how they were going to respond and I, I would just ask the question. So you don't, do, you don't do online safety practices like monitoring, you know, internet access or like you do closed door access, right? So your kids are allowed to play on the internet with the door closed or, you know, kind of the things that I put into place. Um, yeah, I could ask that and I would probably receive a little bit of like, well, why are you asking that? You know, and there might be some defensiveness. But if I approached it from the place of I just found out that this, you know, this child like got lured by, you know, this situation happening. And I just found out that these are some safety measures that should be put into place. Have you considered that before? Like, just want to, you know, give you an FYI, like TikTok might not be the safest thing to allow your child to use, you know, in their room um, because of these reasons, you know, and based on their response, right? It's like, oh, well, we don't really, you know, it's not, we're not worried about that. It's like, well, we, we kind of are. So I'm not sure, like, you know, because you don't have maybe a, an internet filter or you're not talking about this, you know, I don't like, I want to make sure that my child has some resources around that first before we allow a sleepover. And so mm-hmm. kind of giving them some education and saying like, it's not about you necessarily, like, and what you're doing, but it's really about me, my comfort level of what my child understands and knows and what they need to know in order to be able to navigate those spaces safely. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, the nuances can can change and all of that, but essentially mm-hmm. that's kind of the conversation of like, here's what I'm learning and how I'd like to share that education with you so that you can implement it in your home. That can That might be a conversation that goes on many times before you're like, you know what, now I feel comfortable. Like you've started implementing some things. I put some things in place. You've had time to teach your child about certain things, exit strategies, for example, So now I feel more comfortable. I know my child has a way to access me if they need to. I know that they've started putting some safety measures in place. Like now we can, you know. So if if we approach it from that place of like wanting to educate, I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, I can totally see how on the receiving end, that's definitely a different conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when... Like, what are some of the big pillars or tools that prevent and make your child one that's not going to be picked, you know, because they right. have that just big label on their forehead that says, like, not a good pick. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what are just some of – if you if you go in kind of a chronological order of a few steps that you take kind of at each age or stage that help with that process, what does that look like over – you know, as, as an overall. Yeah. So for between the age of two and six, a big part of the conversation that you're going to have is about private part safety and, you know, body autonomy. You know, I always tell parents have a foundation of kids understanding their rights, which is body safety around, um, body autonomy, right? My body belongs to me, helping them understand that concept. And then to be able to understand what their boundaries are, uh, how to vocalize the boundaries, right? So I don't don't feel like a hug today, Grandpa, but like, what about a fist bump, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. that looks like. Um, so that's the essential basics of, you know, of body autonomy. So that's a really strong foundation to start with. And then you can take that to the next step of private part safety. Private part safety is obviously, you know, explaining kids uh, about safe and unsafe touch, um, helping them understand those parts, right? So talking about it in correct terms, so not using cutesy names. Um, Teaching that piece is really key. 
but also that, uh, you know, part like doing that comprehensively. So spending some time there, you know, not just like safe and unsafe touch, but also like talking about exposure, right? Nobody should be looking at your parts. Nobody should be asking you to show them, you know, because that's one of the grooming stages that a, an offender can use is like just seeing if the child will react to the fact that someone showed them a private part, like whether it was on a, a phone or in real life. Um, you know, so really getting comprehensive with private part safety is key for that age group, right? Because the more uh, specific you can get with a child about genitalia, that if somebody were to touch them inappropriately, they can state where they were touched, right? And that's mm-hmm. really important also the younger the child, because in if they were to go to court, if they had to testify, their testimonial is now much more valid to, uh, you know, in a court of law, because the child really understands that they've had that education. It's not like, well, they're being kind of vague about where they were touched. And, you know, maybe they weren't touched in the way that, you know, or the place that they they're saying, because they don't really have the language. Mm -hmm. So that's also, you know, so it's really key to spend some time there, get comprehensive. There's some great books and tools to help you do that. Um, but you know, you're, you're probably going to bump up against questions like why is private parts, you know, private and, you know, stuff like that. So spend some time on that topic. Mm -hmm. Um, the next part that's really important that, you know, because offenders look to see how educated a child is about, you know, their, their anatomy. If they're not, then they know this isn't being taught in the home. Or if they're using terms that are cutesy terms, they know that there's some shame around that in the home and parents aren't willing to talk about it, right? So that increases their likelihood that they're, they might be a target. The other piece to, that is really key um, from the age of basically four to five and up based on your child's development and understanding of, of language and concepts is secrets safety. So helping them to understand like, what what is a secret versus a surprise versus privacy, you know, and mm-hmm. understanding the concept of tricky people and listening to your gut um, and then how to report, right? If something makes you uncomfortable, if you have a gut feeling that, you know, somebody's asking you to keep even an innocent secret, like, oh, you know, we just uh, went for ice cream and I, you know, they told me not to say anything. It didn't seem like it was a bad thing. So I didn't say anything, right? Explaining to kids like, no secrets whatsoever. Talking to the adults in your kids' lives to say, we have a no secrets policy, including these quote unquote innocent secrets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that like if someone says, you know, hey, let's get ice cream. Don't tell your parents. Otherwise, they won't let me get ice cream next time. And your child knows to say, we don't keep secrets in our family. We have a no secrets policy in our family. Then that offender now knows, okay, this child's being educated right? They, this is a safety family. Like this is not going to be an easy target because they want someone that is easy to manipulate, that doesn't know, isn't being educated. And that makes them a much easier target so that they don't get, um, you know, they don't get arrested on, on doing things that are obviously illegal and inappropriate. Um, mm-hmm. So those are the, the really key ones that I think if parents have at least done that minimal piece their, their risk is reduced. And that stuff, you know, carries into online safety, you know, the right. idea of secrets and, you know, uh, privacy and those pieces carry into, you know, as they, as they grow up, but, you know, don't do it once or twice and then like check the box. Like this is ongoing. These there's nuances to these conversations. Um, so you want to make sure that, you know, you're doing it as comprehensively as you can throughout their life. Like, so right. it's, you know, not about just like sitting down, reading a book and it's like, okay, they they got it. Because like, how many times do you need to repeat something to kids before they, you know, finally do it or get it, you know? Right. Um, so just, yeah, keep that in mind. Yeah. And, and I think that there's so much uncomfortableness that comes out from parents because they weren't talked to this talked this way as kids. Right. So it's just hard to be able to get through like your own awkwardness of yeah. saying these words out loud and becoming comfortable with these conversations and, you know, hoping that things don't come up in a conversation in the checkout line at the pharmacy. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. those those things might happen, but it's definitely worth the investment in educating your kids. So it's kind of like there's the there's the body autonomy phase, the private parts 
uh, vocabulary phase and then the the secrets versus surprises phase all laying the groundwork before online safety right is that what i'm hearing that's correct yeah okay yeah, yeah. And, and even just one last piece too mm-hmm. is that um it's really also important to create a safety network for your child so that's something that um can happen from the age of five and up typically because your child can participate in creating that safety network. But it's, it's important for your child to know that there are other people that um, they can go to for help. If for whatever reason they can't, they, they feel that they can't share whatever's happening with you, you know, and Mm -hmm. if you don't have that, then they may feel trapped and not know who else they can tell. Um, So creating a safety network uh, that not only, uh, is just a safety network by name, like meaning, you know, just because it's your, you know, brother or your, you know, grandfather, like a, a grandfather that automatically that makes them a safe person. It's based on them uh, adhering to the things that make them a safe person, right? So like mm-hmm. somebody who would never break a body boundary, who would never ask them to keep a secret, who would help them if they asked for help um, and who would keep them safe, you know, who would help keep them safe from uh, an unsafe situation. So kids knowing that it's important too, because, you know, figures of authority in a children's life typically are automatically assumed to be safe. Like I was mentioning before, teachers, doctors, um, coaches, we know that that's supposed to be the case. We assume that that should be the case, but it's not always the case. So mm-hmm. letting kids know how to identify what a safe person is and the behaviors of a safe person are also important. Um, and so that's part of what how you can create a safety network, which is also key so that in the event that a child, you know, so helping them create a blueprint of how to access help um, and, and an exit strategy if they find themselves in unsafe situations. It's sort of the, the final piece that I, you know, I talk about seven different things that you can teach and I, I kind of just gave you some of those those mm-hmm. basics, but there's more to it. And at the end of it is that part where it's like, if you were to find yourself in a situation that was not safe, mm-hmm. here's what you can do either in the situation or after and to know that it's never your fault, you know? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So because we can only scratch the surface, speak to the resources that you have both free and paid on your website and like going forward this month, you know, live, like how can listeners connect more with your platform and the things that you offer? Sure. Thanks for asking. So uh, pretty much everything can be found on my website, consentparenting.com. I have various workshops that, you know, anything from getting started with abuse prevention, kind of a guide that walks you through what to teach at different ages and stages. Um, I, but I have tons of free resources. I have a, a PDF with um, the 10 signs of grooming to look for. So if your child, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever their age is, it's good to educate yourself on what those signs are to look for. So that's a free download. Uh, I have a book guide. So resources and tools that you can use to help teach this. Books are my favorite. So I have a book guide that you can download for free as well. Um, if your child is doing sleepovers, I have a sleepover safety guide. Um, again, also a free download. So there's lots of different resources depending on where you're at. If your child is going to be going to daycare or preschool soon, the, the different things that you should be thinking about teaching and knowing to ask to your daycare, um, you know, there's a resource for that as well. And then I have a private part safety workshop that is currently um, live. It's it's available for registration, and that walks you through comprehensively how to teach uh, private part safety to your child if they're between the ages of two and eight. So mm-hmm. that one I'm really excited about because people have been at you know I get these really commonly asked questions about private part safety. Um, and, and that's, you know, the questions that you may come up against or that your child even asks you that you're just like, how do I answer that? <laughs> it's like, yeah. never thought that they would ask me that, you know? So, <laughs> um, and it's it, like, you might turn red and like, uh, let me get back to you. I'm not sure how to answer that yet. But, um, so this workshop really helps to dig into all of that and, and guide parents and how to do it comprehensively. Oh, thank you for creating all of those resources, because I think, what you may have said at the beginning or or you didn't is that you realized when you were trying to educate yourself, 
that you didn't find the resources that were specifically designed at least for survivors and making things digestible and in these pieces and just being able to create more of a hopeful framework for wanting to feel equipped and wanting to know how to feel like you have the tools mm-hmm. in your toolkit to equip yourself and to equip your child and to equip your community uh, with just more understanding that is just the ripple effects are huge by just a few families taking that on in each of their respective areas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, it's, it's helpful. Like that's the, the goal and, and it's an honor to, to serve in that way. Of course. Yeah. So any last parting words, anything else that we didn't cover yet that you always want to say or something that you feel like parents need to know? Yeah, I would. I mean, the, the last thing I would say is to not, uh, not allow yourself to get overwhelmed by, you know, the fact that that this is a lot, but if you do it step by step, you know, just like anything else, we can't climb a mountain in a day. You just take steps as you move up the mountain. And it's the same, same with this. So as long as you're doing something and you're staying aware and you're eager to, to educate yourself and, and you, you have that willingness to do something, Mm -hmm. it will help and empower your family and your community. And the toll that the, this trauma can have on on a child and you know as they become an adult is significant and I think that this is one of the reasons why there's mental there's so much mental health um, so many mental health issues in the world um, a lot of times stem from these kinds of traumas so if we can you know we can head them off and prevent them we will be giving a gift to our children and so you know you you can do this and it's it's possible you're not alone and there's people that you know like myself not I'm not the only one for sure there's so many people in the world that are doing this work that can help support you in it so connect with them and find those support systems and know that it's possible to do this whether you've had that trauma or not it's mm-hmm. important so I'm, I'm with all of you on it and you know you're not alone yes yeah that's a, such a good note to end on so refreshing to hear as well and yeah even if you just have one other buddy that listens to this and backs you up and says yeah me too you know call them after you talk to (laughs) take care and let me know how that conversation went and we can go back and forth and you know validate each other that's what you need to keep going sometimes and to feel like this is the right thing to do and you are you know being a good parent or a good mom whatever that means to you right (laughs) right So the, right. the very last thing I ask every guest is, how are you the mom that your kids need? I am more playful than my mom was with me. And um, that's something that I actually had to work on. But mm-hmm. it's it's been joyful and it's such a great way for us to connect on a deeper level. And so I think that adding playfulness to my connection with them uh, has, has been what they needed and what they continue to, to seek. So I, I think that it's, it's good. It's a good sign that that's what they, they're happy to be getting from me. Yes. So they're lucky to have you. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks again for your time. Thanks again for your resources. Thank you. I'll put all of that in the show notes and keep up the hard work. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you. Okay, so I feel like that was only part one of like a thousand. So obviously we could only scratch the surface with this topic, but I wanted to make sure it was on your radar and that you felt like you were pointed in the direction of more resources so that you feel like you know where to go and what to do with this all-important topic. So if you haven't yet in this conversation, go find Rosalia's uh, resources, her website, her Instagram, and uh, find the next step for your family, depending on where you're at in this journey, how old your kids are. There's always going to be one probably resource of hers that's going to be the right fit right now. Maybe it's the private parts workshop that she has coming up in March. Um, Just let me know if that was helpful and if we 
wish to more parts on this topic. Uh, for me, I know it's always on, on my heart and something I've wanted to continue to learn about because it's an ongoing conversation. So if you are worried about that as well, you are a good parent. You are doing the right thing by having these uncomfortable conversations and trying to figure this out together for your kids. Great job. It is worth the effort. Absolutely. If you're enjoying these conversations, if you have been loving Failing Motherhood, please share it with a friend and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or rate it on Spotify so more moms can find it. Thanks for coming on this journey with me. I believe in you and I'm cheering you on.